This is Nemesis Gate Mocha for NAJM Catalyst. I am speaking today with Dr. Michael Anderson, the president of UCSF Benioff Children's Hospital and professor and vice chair for Children's Health, Department of Pediatrics at the UCSF School of Medicine. Today, we will be discussing the important topic of the pandemic and its impact on children. And in addition to the clinical issues, we will also take a really critical look at the wider view on the myriad ways that the pandemic is impacting the health of children all over the world, and focus on what healthcare executives and clinical leaders, whether they are directly focused on this population or not, should be thinking about to not only address the immediate issues, as well as mitigate the growing list of potential long-term adverse consequences of the pandemic on these younger generations. Thank you for joining us today, Mike. Our audience will really benefit from hearing your insights. Thank you so much. Let's start by setting some context. Big picture, when you think about the pandemic and its impact on children, what is on top of mind for you? Yeah, there, there's a couple things. First, there is good news. The good news is, as you've seen over the past several months, um, there's not thousands and thousands, thank God, of children that are flooding the intensive care unit with acute respiratory distress syndrome or shock. Um, so the good news is, and I think we're sort of delineating, it's probably due to the ACE2 receptor, maybe it's due to different um, physiologic concerns. Um, the good news is on, you know, on a large scale, there's not thousands and thousands of kids um, that are becoming critically ill and thank God dying. However, and I'm so appreciative to you doing this podcast, there are real concerns uh, about children. Um, one being this multi-system inflammatory uh, syndrome in children, so-called MISC. Uh, it's only 500, give or take, kids that we've identified across the nation, but boy, these kids have become really sick. And there's a certain percentage that have coronary aneurysms that are going to be need to be followed up on. So one is there is indeed a disease um, that children get from COVID. Um, number two is that there are significant public health concerns about how this pandemic is affecting children. As we sit here uh, in August of 2020, the debate about how to get back to school safely is really real. But the foundational argument is kids are not getting the resources they typically get during a normal school year. They're not uh, being uh, taught by, by typically um, trained teachers. They're not interacting with other kids. They're not socializing. Um, so number two is just this concern about children's mental and, and uh, you know, developmental uh, gains. And then finally, I'll say there is a, a real concern I have as a pediatrician and a children's health leader that even before the COVID pandemic, we were concerned that the number of children suffering from mental and behavioral health issues that weren't adequately addressed was growing year over year. Now, if you look at the incredible stress that families and kids are under, I'm just concerned as a pediatrician and a children's hospital leader that we're going to be faced with even more kids um, that are really going to need uh, professional behavioral health resources. So let me double click on, on those last two uh, issues that, that you mentioned. They have traditionally, uh, the specifically role of education uh, and, and mental health needs of children, have lived, rightly or wrongly, outside of the scope of traditional health care systems. 
Given the pandemic, should we be redefining the role of, of healthcare systems? And what is the role of partnerships with uh, public health leaders as well as educational leaders uh, in coming up with both short-term and long-term solutions? Yeah, it's a terrific question. And I think, um, as I've said for a while now, there's no silver lining in this pandemic. There's just been too much death and destruction. But there are some reasons, I think, number one, to be optimistic, and two, to really take lessons learned and become stronger as a nation. And, and I'll use opening of schools as an example. Uh, I think we need to redefine roles. We need to tear down silos, and we really need to strengthen. What do we mean by coalition? So if you look at what is going on, uh, the debate of how we get back to school safely, it's first and foremost a public health issue, right? It, it's impossible in my mind to reopen a school if the pandemic is out of control in that particular geography. It is also an educational issue. How do we ask these school systems to you know, create pods, to you know, cut the number of kids in school, I'm sorry, in a classroom by half? That takes resources and planning. And then finally, I really believe children's hospitals, pediatricians, and health systems have to play a role. So we at UCSF Benioff Children's Hospitals, like I think a lot of children's hospitals and a lot of doctors across this country, we kept getting call after call, either from my school system or a school system that we know, to say, help us do this. Well, I don't think a children's hospital or a pediatrician is, is the ultimate arbitrator, but I do think a children's hospital or an academic medical center can play the role of convener. We get public health at the table. How do we get the educators to help us think this through? The voice of families and parents, and it's so important to me as a leader of a children's hospital to make sure I'm hearing from the voice of families, but we've also got families that are really, really scared and concerned. So I think there will be much more strength in this notion of coalitions. And I think what us and other institutions across the country are doing, trying to help its, its community come to grab or come to grips with, how do we open schools safely? Um, I think there really is an important role for us to, to get outside our typical swim lanes on. Can you share some specific examples of how UCSF and, and the Children's Hospitals specifically have, have gotten involved and what some of the challenges have been, uh, at least in, in your community over the last many months as you try to build these, these coalitions and, and break down silos? Yeah, it, it came from the grassroots and it, it's, I think I, I speak on behalf of a lot of physicians across this country. It started with dozens of our doctors getting called, appropriately so, from their local school districts, either their own children's or you know, they knew somebody that knew somebody. And what we tried to do is really coalesce this under an umbrella. Um, I don't think it's up to a children's hospital say, green light, go, you know, go, for, go forward within class. But I do think the important role of an academic medical center is to try and decipher all of the incoming data. I mean, not a week goes by where there's not a new study. Like last week, it was from Lurie Children's on the nasopharyngeal viral load of children. There's a case report now out of Georgia of a camp having to close because certain restrictions like masks 
weren't, uh, weren't used. So what we've done is assemble experts from infection control, community medicine, adolescent medicine, and really done a number of things. We have a number of webinars. We had 700 people on this webinar yesterday um, from schools and from school districts and from teachers. Um, we are trying to play the role of convener and also trying to help people who are not medically trained decipher all of this incoming data. How do you make sense of it? I, I will say um, there is a bright spot. It's amazing how quickly things are, are becoming or are getting published, right? That case reports are coming mm -hmm. out, learning really, really quickly um, as, as an organized medical community. And it's actually international. This, this work on MASC, um, which Dr. Adrian Randolph at, at Harvard has led, is, is truly international. So um, I, I think UCSF has stepped up. Uh, I think, once again, this notion of coalition building is so important. Com completely agreed. I am going to uh, push you to name some challenges. What has been what have been some of the challenges and barriers to, to get this, uh, to realize this role as convener? Yeah, it is, it is the nuance that we're going to have to iterate these recommendations. And I think the CDC is feeling it at the national level. I think we're feeling it at the regional level. We can come up with, you know, safe guidance for what does a socially distanced classroom look like? and what does screening look like and how do we how do we address this? I think one of the biggest challenges is um, that this is this is probably going to change what time, right? As we learn more in this information overload sharing time, we're probably going to have to modify things. And I think that can be very frustrating to school districts or to parents that, that just want an answer. The second really big challenge, and it's not just a challenge for the Children's Hospital or the Academic Medical Center, you know, we're in such a resource-constrained time, you know, it's been called the fiscal scorched earth that we're all emerging into because of the pandemic. Um, so many of the recommendations that we as public health leaders would just think, well, of course you have to do that. Like, you've got to close the gym and make it a classroom, and you've got to double the number of teachers because you're going to cut the classroom size in half. I think a really big challenge um, is the fiscal reality of how do we do that. And there are affluent um, school districts that will still be challenged, but they can get it done. And then there's other school districts that, that are just on a good day having such huge challenges. So how do we as a nation and, and we as a coalition saying kids are really so important, um, how do we overcome the financial barrier? That, that's a really big one. And I uh, completely agree, and I appreciate you uh, naming and, and owning uh, that tension and the fact that we're going to need to make some difficult decisions and trade-offs under the umbrella of that very, uh, that very real um, trade-off uh, that will, will have, to be, have to be made. Let me end on a positive note. Is there a success story or a recent win uh, that you can share with our audience uh, from the last many months? So back to multi-system inflammatory syndrome in children, MISC. Um, it, and I've been a pediatric intensive care doc for decades now. Um, the, the rapidity with which we went from a couple of case reports in the UK and Italy to an international coalition of people coming together to a case definition 
to now trials of what is the best way to treat it, um, that's a win. That's a win because the academic community came together. I also want to just call out um, my friends and colleagues in the federal government and at Harvard, Dr. Adrian Randolph, Dr. Jeff Burns. Um, we have gone from zero to 100 miles an hour knowing more about this disease and trying to coalesce around best therapy. Like I've never seen, this is a brand new disease. It kind of looks like Kawasaki's, but it's, it's different. And to see the rapidity and the collaboration between our European colleagues, the academics, the federal government, um, I, I'm, I'm just so proud to be a part of this community because I think we've really risen to the occasion. Mike, thank you so much for sharing your insights and for speaking with NEJM Catalyst this afternoon. My pleasure.